You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 3-1 pitch, swing and a drive. Deep to right field, way up there, way out of here. Goodbye baseball. Eight strikeouts for the King tonight and make it... 23 consecutive scoreless innings for Felix. Right three called on the outside corner, and there it is. It's time for the Seattle Mariners baseball podcast. Kyle Seager, that just happened. Thank you very much. Now, here's your host, Gary Hill. And welcome back to Mariners Pod. Great to have you back. Hope you had a very good weekend. We have a lot to talk about from what was a busy weekend for the Mariners, taking on the White Sox in Chicago. Get you ready for a huge three-game series coming up against the Texas Rangers starting tonight. Then, of course, the Mariners return home after that, but a big three coming up. So we'll talk about that coming up in a few minutes. We had a Major League debut over the weekend, and it went very well. So we're going to hear from the newest Mariner pitcher, And along those lines, Mike Blowers is going to tell the story of his Major League debut. It's very entertaining, and I think you'll really enjoy it. So that comes up in a few minutes as well. Also, the week that was on its way, and it features a whole lot of Sean O'Malley, which is always a good thing. So that comes up in a few minutes as well. Weekend started with Felix versus Chris Sale on Friday. Just a dream matchup. A matchup that is, uh, it's really tough to beat. It's one of the best there is. Two of the guys that have been the best, the most consistent in the American League. And they went toe-to-toe on Friday night. The King was outstanding. 3-2 to Garcia. Swing and a miss at a fastball for strike three. Back-to-back strikeouts for the King. Two strikeouts tonight, and that's it for the White Sox. Here in the bottom half of the second. He would pitch into the eighth inning, pitch very well. Edwin Diaz would take over on the mound, and the show was stolen by Sean O'Malley, who turned in an incredible play. The 0-2 to Anderson, swinging a ground ball, slow roller, third baseline, charging, barehanded, throwing home, O'Malley in time to Zanino. Holy smokes, what a play to get J.B. Shuck at the plate. A tremendous defensive gem turned in by Sean O'Malley. Charges the slow roller halfway up the line from third base to home plate. He got to it, barehanded the ball, fired a BB to Zanino just in time to get Shuck. What a play for the second out of the inning. I'm still kind of in awe in the, of that play. Consider that Sean O'Malley, a guy who really hasn't played a lot of third base in his pro career. I'm not talking at the major league level. I'm talking about as a professional. He's only played there really a handful of times between the minors and the majors. He has spent more time just about everywhere else, every outfield position, shortstop, second, you name it. He has been all over the place, not a lot of third experience. And you think about that throw, that's a very unique throw with the angle charging like that, the bare hand staying straight onto home plate throwing. That's just not a throw that he has had a lot of experience making, but it was flawless and helped the Mariners get the win. Edwin Diaz rock solid to close it out. So they get a win against Chris Sale, which was good, but – the rest of the weekend wasn't going to be easy. And we've talked about lefties now. The Mariners lineup a little more vulnerable to lefties than they have been 
at the beginning of the season. You think about it, and of course, Cano and Seeger, they hit for a ton of pop against lefties, a lot of power against lefties, on base percentage average, not the same as against righties. Nelson Cruz in the middle, of course, has whacked lefties all year, but the, the thing that's changed, some of the platoon situations not as effective now as they were early in the season. Franklin Gutierrez being one from the right side, Dejo Lee being another from the right side. So a little bit more vulnerable right now to lefties, and these weren't just an ordinary set of lefties. Chris Sale, of course, one of the best there is. Jose Quintana, who still, shockingly, despite being an all-star this season, probably still underrated despite the fact that he is up there in terms of one of the best pitchers in the American League. And he was on display in the second game of the series on Saturday. He was outstanding, handcuffing the Mariners, and the M's would drop game two of the series. And game three, a very underrated and difficult matchup. Carlos Rodon came into the ball game with the second best ERA in baseball. For pitchers with at least four starts in August, that's how good he has been. He has been dynamite against lefties. He has only allowed one home run against lefties all season and one double against lefties all season coming in. They just hit just a touch over 220. So another very difficult matchup. Of course, Rodon, a number one draft pick a couple of years ago. Not a household name yet, but he's going to be up in the upper echelon uh, in no time. He's that good, that talented, and he was excellent against the Mariners, although a couple of their lefties had some extra base hits. Kyle Seeger, a triple, and Robinson Cano checks in with a homer. Two outs, nobody on for Cano, top of the sixth inning. The infield plays him straight up. The 0-1. Cano swings and wallops his high towards the pole in right field. This has a lot to it, and it's gone into the seats. Garcia could only watch Robinson Cano, number 30, comes here today on the south side. And the Mariners are on the board with one huge swing from Robbie. It's 2-1 White Sox. He got him close with that home run, number 30 of the season. That's the second most he has hit in a season. His career high, 33. He's got a great chance at surpassing that. But very rare what he has done. 30 home runs on the season not many second basemen at all have surpassed 30 home runs multiple times. That is the second time he has done it, of course. And Alfonso Soriano is one who has done it now three times. That's the most for any American League second baseman. Ian Kinsler twice. Brett Boone twice. Of course, in Mariners uniforms both of those times. Joe Gordon twice. And now Robinson Cano. What a season he is having, not only with the long ball, but another 30-30 season, 30 homers, 30 doubles. He has been absolutely spectacular this season for the Mariners. He can just add another accomplishment. It's also a short list of Mariners players that have gone 30-plus in a season. Griffey did it six times, not a big surprise. A-Rod, four. Jay Buhner, three. Nelson Cruz has done it in both of his two seasons. Richie Sexton twice, Brett Boone twice, Russell Branion, Raul Abanez, Edgar, Paul Sorrento, Tino Martinez, Gorman Thomas, and now Robinson Cano. He becomes the 13th player to go deep 30 or more times in a season in Mariners history. 
Great home run for Cano, but it was not enough as that's all they would get against the White Sox. 4-1 to one is the final. Rodon in the bullpen completely shuts down the Mariners, and that was it. The Mariners have dropped 5 of 6 during that time frame. They've only scored 14 runs, but part of the reason, it is a brutal part of the schedule. I actually think it's a big, big part of the reason. You look at who they faced, especially with the lefties involved, not just ordinary lefties, some of the best there is. You've seen in the last six ball games Tanaka. You've seen Sale, Quintana, Rodon, and also a veteran in CC Sabathia. It has been an extremely difficult stretch, tough games to score runs. They have not found a way to repeat what they did against Chris Sale to find a way to scratch runs together, and they've dropped five of their past six. There certainly was some positive yesterday, though, as Taiwan Walker was excellent yesterday. Scott Service talked about that after the ball game. I thought he threw the ball outstanding. Uh, really, really good effort, good stuff. Uh, was really on top of his game. probably as good as we've seen him since, since early in the year. So uh, really uh, encouraging start for him. And, you know, he should feel good about it because he, you know, the team's been swinging the bat pretty good over there, and, and he's certainly held them off. Other than the results, what did you see from him that was... Oh, I just thought, you know, his presence just getting after it with the fastball early ahead in the count uh, was a big thing for me today uh, with him and then, you know, getting his other pitches going. But uh, he was very aggressive, and um, certainly that's what we want to see out of him out there. Hey, Scott, you were going into the game, you said you needed some offense. You were hoping to put up five, six, seven minutes. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's tough. We, you know, had a couple chances there. Grunners in scoring position didn't, didn't really come through. You know, the ball that Lind hit, they turn into double play. You know, that would have been, you know, a couple feet here or there. But that's baseball. You know, that, that does happen. But, uh, yeah, we just didn't get much going offensively. You got to get, you know, the hits with the runners in scoring position. And, and uh, you know, our, our pitching was, was really good today. I can't say enough about uh, Taiwan. They really stood up. And, and uh, their guy was good, obviously. But we just, uh, you know, it was a tight game. We just didn't get the big hits at the end. And here's what Kyle Seeger said about the series and about moving forward. Well, hopefully not facing those guys will be better. Um, you know, those are those are, you know, those are three really tough lefties in a row, and that's that's, that's tough for anybody. So, um, you know, just I mean, there's nothing we can do about these games. These games are over. You know, we got a big series with Texas, and you know, we'll look forward to that. It seems like the time of hit kind of messing around now. Yeah, yeah, we had some opportunities. You know, we didn't have a ton of opportunities. It wasn't, you know, we didn't have that many. You know, we weren't running all over the bases. But I mean, you know, we had a few chances, and you know, they they really bared down and made some, you know, some really good pitches. And you know, that's that's kind of how it goes, unfortunately, sometimes. So now the Mariners turn their attention to the Rangers starting tonight. The Mariners. In second place, tied with the Astros for second. If they're going to make a run at Texas, this is the time to start. Eight and a half back of the Rangers coming in. You turn the page to the wild card standings. Toronto ahead in the east. They've won three in a row. Cleveland still holding the central. Texas, they've won two in a row ahead in the west. Boston has the first wild card. They lost to Kansas City last night. Baltimore holding down the second wild card. They beat the Yankees yesterday. Detroit, two games back of the second wild card. And then you have the Mariners, the Astros, and the Royals all tied the same exact records, 68 and 62, and three games back of the second wild card. Now, here's what's interesting about what is coming up. Mariners will play the Rangers. 
Baltimore and Toronto will square off. That is a huge series. And then you have Boston against Tampa Bay. Detroit will take on the White Sox. And it's just really unfortunate that the rotation ended up falling the way it did. The White Sox rotation for the Mariners and not for the Tigers. But uh, Mariners will hope the White Sox can do to the Tigers what the White Sox just did to the M's. The Astros will take on the A's. And then Kansas City will play the Yankees. Kansas City, now they've won a ton of games recently. They're tied with the Mariners. But the Yankees just half game back of the Mariners, Royals, and Houston. So that's a huge series for both of those teams. So, again, it just continues in the American League. It is a big rock pile of teams all in the same spot fighting for one or two slots in postseason. So, and Boston's only one game up on the second wild card in Baltimore. So every team is in the mix here as we get closer and closer to turning the page to September. Mariners tonight, Iwakuma, 505 first pitch. You Darvish will take the ball for Texas. This is why this Texas series doesn't get any easier. I, I listed the pitchers the Mariners have faced recently. Well, it gets it's just as tough in this series. Paxton in game two will go against Cole Hamels, another lefty and one of the best there is. And then on Wednesday, day baseball, 11.05, Felix Hernandez against Martin Perez. So there it is. It's all laid out for you. Mariners and Rangers, three-game series over the weekend so right now we did have a very impressive major league debut over the weekend looks in has the sign from Chris Iannetta the stretch and the 0-1 pitch up and in with a fastball at a hundred miles an hour holy smokes triple digits from Dan Altavilla a 100 mile an hour fastball to the, the count is Elon Frazier at one ball. And the and one, one two strike. to Todd Frazier. Swing and a miss and a slider for strike three. How about that kid? Dan Altavilla in his major league debut takes care of the Chicago White Sox. One, two, three in the bottom of the eighth inning. And his first strikeout in the big leagues, he fans Todd Frazier. Welcome to the big leagues. Dan Altavilla gets a handshake from the skipper Scott Service as he reaches the top step of that dugout. How about that? Way to go, kid. So Shannon Dreyer, a chance to sit down with the newest Mariner, and then we'll hear Mike Blowers talk about his Major League debut. Catching up with one of the newest Mariners, Dan Altavilla. The last 24 hours, what has that been like for you? How did you find out? And, you know, just kind of where are you right now? Right. <laughs> last 24 hours has been just unbelievable. Um, started in Jackson. Uh, our last game got postponed. I went back to my apartment just to hang out because we had a bus ride to Biloxi that night. The skipper ended up calling me and he said, hey, uh, when you plan on heading back to the, the clubhouse? And I said, probably about 40 minutes. He said, well, why don't you just try to get here as fast as you can? And at that point, I didn't know what was going on. It didn't seem like there had to be a move to be made. So got back there as fast as I could. And he called me in the office and he said, Hey, Dan, uh, you're not going to travel with us to Biloxi tonight. Uh, you're going to go to Chicago and meet the big club. And uh, it was just, I was just lost for words and I, just an unbelievable feeling. And um, I'm just so happy to be here and unbelievable. And what was that like stepping out here for the first time? <laughs> just stepping out here and doing a 360 and just taking it all in. And I mean, the stadium's unbelievable and just picturing 
all the fans that would show up and fill the seats. It's just crazy. So you get here and you have all of that to deal with, but then you have to get ready for a ball game. Uh, to put on the uniform, to I'm going to assume there was some sort of pink backpack involved, and to go out into the bullpen. What was that time like down there in the bullpen as the game got going? Uh, it was fun to be down there with the guys. Uh, they kept it light down there, just uh, kind of joking around. And I guess the new guys have to wear the pink backpack and bring out all this stuff that the guys like to use. And I mean, it was a great time. Uh, fans out there, unbelievable. They you know, they keep you in the game and make sure you're staying locked in or they'll call you out. So it was a fun time. <laughs> so uh, the game gets going. Uh, when did you have an idea? Wait, I, I could be coming in. I may be working tonight. I mean, it was it was probably about the sixth inning. I just had a feeling. Uh, Hamp told me that, uh, hey, stay locked in and get some blood flow going and start stretching out. Uh, you might get a call down here soon. So, you know, I just kind of try to stay locked in as best as I could and, you know, it's it's kind of hard not to whenever, you know, you got the fans around you in this atmosphere. So it was just fun staying locked into the game. Now, you came into the organization as a starter, and you began your conversion this year, if I've got that correct? Yes. Uh, spring training, they converted me to a reliever. What's been the biggest learning going to the pen for you? Um, just being able to get up whenever they call down and um, being able to sit back down whenever they say sit down. The starter's going to go back out just kind of got to pace yourself you can't you can't get up and start throwing as hard as you can you got to kind of feel out the situation and kind of just let the game dictate itself and go from there but imagine the adrenaline is different for a reliever let alone a reliever coming into his first big league game uh, <laughs> what did you do when you got out to the hill last night um i just when i threw my last warm-up pitch i just kind of looked around the whole stadium just took it all in and then uh Seeger was pretty good at throwing the ball back and saying, hey, man, go get him, have some fun out there. So that kind of that kind of just put me in a good mood and made me have a, a good experience. And a very veteran catcher behind the plate for you, too. What did he tell you, and was it just kind of in your mind, okay, I'm going to go with this guy? We talked a little bit before uh, what I like to do in BP and in the clubhouse. So uh, he didn't come out to the mound right when I came in, so I think he had a, he, he had a good idea what I wanted to do. And, He's been great back there for many years, so I trust everything he puts down. And, you know, even like the last pitch to Frazier, he, he put his fist up and said, you know, come on, get, let's go get this guy. Sure enough, we did. It was it was an awesome experience. Well, we saw the, we saw a little bit of it last night. You weren't out there long. <laughs> you, you took care of that, but just kind of a self-scout. What do you want to show every time you're out there? Just I want to be able to come in the game and throw strikes and uh, command the zone. Uh, our organization is big on uh, C to Z, control the zone, so. You know, that's what I've been trying to do in the minor leagues, and I want to continue it on in the big leagues. Leslie, did you take anything from the game last night? Um, yeah, the skipper, he, uh, he gave me the lineup card. I got the tickets from the game and uh, my first strikeout ball. So. Congratulations on a great debut. We hope to see much, much more. Thank you, Dan. All right, thanks for having me. Dan, last night, he was really impressive to me because I know when you're making your major league debut – and I was watching him getting loose in the bullpen, and I made the comment on TV that he has to be nervous. There's a ton of butterflies. Um, I hope the young man can come in and just command the strike zone. And I always marvel at guys when they come in and they actually are able to do that because I know how excited they are, and I know how nervous they are. When you think about it, and you're all the way back playing Little League Baseball, this this is your dream. This is something that you've worked for your entire life. And now from double A mm -hmm. in the matter of hours, here you are, and you're actually standing on the mound. 
that's it's an amazing thing, and there's a lot to deal with emotionally when you go through that. And I thought he was – I mean, he, he hit 100 miles an hour last night. His slider looked terrific. Um, really excited to watch him go out and pitch again. But it's always neat. I, I love seeing debuts. I remember mine. It was almost to what you're talking about, Aaron. I was in AAA. I'm sitting in Nashville, Tennessee, on the road, playing for Indianapolis. I was just told a couple of days prior that I was going to be a September call-up with the Expos. I was pretty excited about that. And I get to my hotel room, phone rings, Tom Runnels is on the other end, and he says, you need to get back over to the ballpark. And this is probably around 1130, 12 o'clock at night, and you need to get all of your baseball stuff. We just traded you to the New York Yankees, and you're going to the big leagues. Excuse me? (laughs) Go to the ballpark, get all my stuff together, leave the hotel at about 4.30 a.m., end up flying in to New York, get to my hotel there, had a few hours, and then into Yankee Stadium I go. And the the driver that picked me up, and I have no idea where anything is or what's How going on. How old are on. you? Um, that's a good question. Let's see. I'm probably at that time 23, 24. Okay. Um, yeah, 23 or 24 years old. So he the, the driver drops me off, and when I walk through the left field gate, I'm in the monuments out there. And just seeing this massive stadium, dragging my luggage <laughs> across the outfield. <laughs> but it was it was. And then I go in the clubhouse, and um, you know all these guys that I admired and and watched on TV, and now they're my teammates. And it happens overnight. And I didn't know what to expect, um, you know. But I, I meet Don Mattingly, Steve Sachs, Dave Winfield, Dave Rigetti, all these guys, you know. And Bucky Dent calls me in the office. And I walk in there, and he's basically, and, and I was relieved. He said, "Look, you're not playing today. I just want you to take your batting practice, get your work, and get to know some of the guys. I'll get you in there um, in, in one of the upcoming games." I said, "Okay." Well, it just so happens that it gets towards the end of the game, seventh, eighth inning, the game's out of hand, and I hear my name, and I'm looking around, and it's Bucky, and he has me pinch hitting. So the game is stopped. I'm talking to Hal Morris at the other end of the dugout, who was also a rookie. I'm running around. I can't find my batting gloves, nothing. I run up to home plate. I was either the first or second pitch. Hit a line drive to Wally Joyner for an out. And I go back into the dugout. And then I realize I actually have to go out onto the field and play defense. (laughs) So I played a couple innings out in the field. And it was something that happened so fast. But I, I remember just how nervous I was about everything. And then we immediately, the thing that was pretty cool, we immediately get on a plane and head to the West Coast, and, and I get my first start in Seattle. What are the chances of that? Right. My first start at home with the Yankees against the Mariners. And listening to that clip of Dave Niehaus, it's one of the greatest things. So I get my first start, and Eric Hansen is pitching. Maybe not the first game, but anyway, I face Eric, and, and I'll never forget this. Dave Niehaus, Eric had a great curveball, but he just absolutely buckles me on a curveball for strike three. And Dave Niehaus, well, welcome to the big leagues, Mike. Pretty cool, you know, for me because I grew up listening to Dave. Sure. And <laughs> I remember my family being upset by that, and I just started laughing. I said, are you kidding? That is terrific. <laughs> <laughs> He's absolutely right. It's the best. So, I, I mean, for me to see all these kids get a chance and, and do well, is a lot of fun, and it's something you'll never forget. That, that one time, you only have one of them, and right. you'll never forget it. So, I want to go back to that moment in time when you walked into the Yankees clubhouse for the first time at Yankee yeah. Stadium. Was Dave Winfield just the biggest dude you'd ever seen in your life at yes. that point? Yes. Uh-huh. I mean, 
it's yeah. just, if that's – I mean, you've got countless welcome to the big league moments there from the monument to dragging, schlepping your luggage, which I, I'm enjoying that in my mind right now. Yeah. <laughs> to then there's Donnie Baseball and just the enormity of Dave Winfield, and you're just like, uh, where's, where's, my, where's my locker? Yeah, uh, all of it. And then when the game's over, I'm getting on the bus going, and everybody's like, where's your sport coat? I don't own one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm from Graham, Washington. I've never had a sport coat in my life. So we get to Seattle, and, and um, one of my teammates took me out and, and bought me a suit. So that's why I got my first suit. We've got a few minutes left. Uh, and which we, I'm sure um, Dan and those guys, I'm, the guys will take care sure. of them. Yeah. I don't know if you, you probably don't need one of those in the Southern League. Um, I'm curious, your, your friendship with Don Mattingly is, yeah. is a strong one, and I'm curious, you, you, he sees you make your Major League debut. How was it over the next uh, series of months that, that, that you and, and Don Mattingly became so close? Well, what happened is, is so I, I get a chance to play, and I did okay. I, I think um, for the month, month and a half I was up, I hit around 260 or something like that, and, and Bucky would basically, it was difficult on Bucky Dent, the manager, because when we would play teams that were still in the race like we're going through now with the Mariners, I, he would sit me and Hal because we were the rookies on the team. and then, So we would play against the teams that weren't in the race, basically. That's when we get our playing time. So in between, I had a lot of extra work. And Donnie was just one of those guys where he would come out and get his own work in, and he would watch me and give me a tip here and there for my batting practice. And then basically what it turned out to be was because he liked to go down to the cages and do a lot of soft toss drills and hit off the tee, I was that guy. Gotcha. So he, he would just say, Mike, come on, I want to go get some work in, and I would flip him the ball or put the ball on the team, which for me was amazing because as he was doing things, he was talking to me about what it is he was doing and why he was doing certain things, and I learned a ton. Um, so that's when I spent a lot of my time with him. And then after games, we would go to dinner, and he would talk to me about a lot of different things. But basically that's how I learned uh, to be a major league player. Was it like going with a rock star in New York when you went out to dinner with Don Mattingly? Yeah, <laughs> it was. And in fact, my second year, my my second year, I was living over in New Jersey, um, and and Donnie and I, from time to time, would would ride in. He would pick me up and, and bring me into the ballpark. And I remember afterwards, we were stopping um, in a, in a place, and uh, we were going to get a beverage. And the guy actually, I asked for his ID, and Donnie didn't have it. And I'm sitting there cracking up laughing going, this is Don Mattingly. And he turned around and he says, anybody in here recognize me? And everybody did. And so then it was on the house and out the door we went. That's great. It was outstanding. But he was amazing to walk. Yeah, because at that time he was, he was an absolute superstar. And, and, but he, you know what? He handled it so well. I learned a lot just from watching that. And then getting traded from the Yankees to Seattle and watching Junior at a much younger age, and his star, and watching him having to learn and deal with all the things that Donnie was already so good at, and Junior had to pick up quickly, which he did, was it's an amazing thing to watch. This is the week that was a look back on highlights and events of the Mariners' past week on Mariners Magazine. Danino ready. Here comes the payoff pitch. He swings it high the opposite way. This is Judge back. He's on the warning track. He's curling. He's on the wall. It's gone. Mariners are on top. Two out, three-run homer. Mike Zanino is ninth on the season. It has been two home runs for the Mariners to make for six runs in total. 
Yeah, it's huge. I mean, it's one of those things where when you can trust the process and trust that you mean people are making the right decisions to help you out, it's great. And uh, I mean, it wasn't the easiest thing going through it a year ago, but but looking back at it now, there's a lot of learning experiences there, and I'm glad I could take that for a positive. Again, the 0-2. Swinging a high fly ball out to right field. O'Malley just in the game over by the line. O'Malley is in foul territory, running out of room, leaps into the seats. And does he make the catch? He has tumbled into the seats, and O'Malley brought it in. He makes the catch. An absolutely incredible catch from O'Malley. He's got to be ready for everything, and, you know, I tracked the ball, and I was got close to the wall, and I was like, I think I can catch it, so let's see what happens. So I just gave a lunge at it, and, you know, fortunately no fans, you know, touched it or anything, and fell in the right glove. And, uh, you know, somebody broke my fall up there, so thank you for whoever did that. <laughs> that was nice. The 2-2 pitch, swing and a ground ball to Cano at second. He's got it, throws the first, it's over. The Mariners win it. Seven to five over the Yankees to take game one of this three-game series. The Mariners get back to 10 over 500. The 1-1 one -one is Saladino. He swings. It's a ground ball chopping over to third base. Foul territory as O'Malley fielded it in fair ground. And near the coach's box, he puts on the brakes, throws across his body, and Saladino is out number two. Fine play by Sean O'Malley. 3-2 to Garcia. Swing and a miss at a fastball for strike three. Back-to-back -back strikeouts for the King. Two strikeouts tonight, and that's it for the White Sox. 3-1 on the way to Lynn. Swing and a fly ball deep into the gap in left center field. On the run is shut. Can't get to it. It's on the track and off the wall. Ronnie third heading home. Cruz will score. Lynn in its second with a two-out RBI double. A huge base hit right there because now the Mariners lead the White Sox 3-0 here in the top half of the fourth. Adam Lynn coming through with two down. The 0-2 to Anderson. Swing and a ground ball. Slow roller. Third baseline. Charging. Barehanding. Throwing home. O'Malley in time to Zanino. Holy smokes, what a play to get J.B. Shuck at the plate. A tremendous defensive gem turned in by Sean O'Malley. Charges the slow roller halfway up the line from third base to home plate. He got to it, barehanded the ball, fired a BB to Zanino just in time to get shot. We work on slow rollers, but never bases loaded late in the game. Uh, you kind of put the situation in your head and uh, just prepare yourself as best as you can. The 0-2 on the way. Fastball swing and a miss. Strike three and it's over. Edwin Diaz is back. Fast Eddie strikes out the side. One, two, three strikes. You're out. One, two, three strikes. You're out. One, two, three strikes. Here in the bottom of the ninth inning, the Mariners win it. Three to one over the Chicago White Sox. Looks in as the sign from Chris Iannetta the stretch. And the 0-1 pitch. Up and in with a fastball at 100 miles an hour. Holy smokes, triple digits from Dan Altavilla. Here's the set by Altavilla. And the 1 2 to Todd Frazier. Swing and a miss and a slider for strike three. How about that kid, Dan Altavilla, in his major league debut? Takes care of the Chicago White Sox. 1 2 3 in the bottom of the eighth inning. And his first strikeout in the big leagues, he fans Todd Frazier. Welcome to the big leagues. Dan Altavilla gets a handshake from the skipper Scott Service as he reaches the top step of that dugout. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story. And one of the best 
stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team.